I found this great quote from the American writer Mark Twain. He says, The true charm of pedestrianism does not lie in the walking or in the scenery, but in the talking. It's no matter whether one talks wisdom or nonsense, the case is the same. The bulk of the enjoyment lies in the wagging of the gladsome jaw and the flapping of the sympathetic ear. Isn't that wonderful? The wagging of the gladsome jaw and the flapping of the sympathetic ear. That's what we're going to do on this podcast, on this Folk on Foot podcast. That's what it's all about. And we're going to add a new ingredient as well. Not just the wagging of the gladsome jaw and the flapping of the sympathetic ear, but performance from some of the UK's leading folk musicians. Unique performances recorded on location. It's going to be a magnificent journey, and I hope you're going to come on it with us. For today's Folk on Foot, we're by the sea, but we're in an urban landscape. It's a typically British scene here, I have to say, because although it's lowering, grey, windy, you know, there's a wind blowing in, the gulls are crying, there's a little girl in a pink coat with her dad picking up shells, and I think they're going to try and make a sandcastle here in a very British way, wrapped up with your coat on, but making a sandcastle. Like a always said... I'm a proud quartet I was good in fish when I was four If you're looking for me Then look out to see Just like me dad before One thing makes me sing Though the sea is cruel waits for me We're in Hartlepool, which is by the sea, and it's in the northeast of England. And, and I should say where Hartlepool got its name, because according to that wonderful historian, the Venerable Bede, it came from the fact that deer, or hearts as they used to be known, came here to drink. Well, you might know it for the fact that it elected its football club mascot as mayor. Or you might remember that it's the setting for the cartoon strip Andy Cap, and there's a statue of him just behind me here on the headland. But we know it as a place which had a profound impact on one of the finest folk groups in the UK, the Young'uns. And the Young'uns came from Stockton-on-Tees, just up the, uh, the way here, but Hartlepool had a huge effect on them, and we're going to find out about that from Sean Cooney, who is their main songwriter. 
But we're not only going to hear from Sean, we're going to meet Michael Hughes and David Eagle, who are his co-conspirators in, in The Young'uns. And it's a great time to be talking to The Young'uns because um, they've just won the Best Album Award at the Radio 2 Folk Awards for their album Strangers, which is, I think, Sean's finest work. And uh, it shows him at the top of his game as a songwriter, somebody who is writing in traditional style and arranging in a traditional style, but addressing some incredibly contemporary issues and talking about some of the stories that have been making the headlines recently in a new, fresh and emotional way. And they're going to sing for us. Uh, they're going to sing in the locations on this Hartlepool headland that inspired Sean to write some of the songs and also that inspired some of the traditions they reflect in their music. Now I long for the day We're going to meet them somewhere called the Squirkle. It's a sort of square, but it's round. And that's why it's called the Squirkle. And it's outside the Borough Hall and it's across a garden from here. Uh, so we ought to walk back towards it and, and see if we can encounter them. You can't get out there, can you? I couldn't see a way in. I don't think there. so, no. I think it goes against the blank wall on the other side. So I must head to the great North Sea once more. Hello. Well, I'm very well, thank you. I'm Matthew. Matthew, Sean, nice to meet you. Welcome to Hartlepool. Hello, Natalie, you all right? Hello, I'm Matthew. Lovely to see you. Hi, Natalie. Hello, Natalie. Hi, Hello, Natalie. us here Sean why have you brought us to this um, particular bit of Hartlepool on the headland because this is the the place that really inspired me to start writing songs and we, we'd got into folk songs when Michael and I were both living in our hometown of Stockton 10 miles down the road but when I first moved here in 2006 I was just completely inspired by the history the heritage the stories I heard from people in the pubs all the old fishermen it, this is it's just a great sense of community here and this is and the old town here, this isn't it? Because the, the new town, town is, the, is the West Hartlepool. That's right. Historically, Hartlepool was two towns. Old Hartlepool, the medieval part where we are now, and British West Hartlepool, which was a Victorian um, development. But this is where the history is, and this is where the, uh, the stories are. But even people within Hartlepool are quite unaware of just how special this place is historically. And it, people in the northeast have no concept of Hartlepool having this great plethora of history and stories. Hartlepool is much, much maligned, really, and you know, and, the, and there is deprivation well, here, and there is problems here. But it's just such a wealth of 
heritage. So. Can I mention the monkey at this stage? Uh, yes, of course you can. Yeah, yeah. It's like the elephant in the room <laughs> is the monkey, right, isn't right, it? Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I always knew that that people here had elected Hangus the monkey yes. as mayor, and yeah. he was the mascot of the football club. That's right. And he got a landslide the next time he got elected yeah, as well. Yeah. But I didn't know the story of Hangus the monkey. What What's the story behind that? Well, uh, the, the the legend of the Hartlepool monkey is the time of the Napoleonic Wars, a ship was wrecked off the coast and on the fish sands down there which we'll take you to shortly the only survivor of this shipwreck was the captain's pet monkey who was happened to be dressed as a cabin boy and the fishermen of Hartlepool um, they'd never seen a monkey before and they'd also never seen a Frenchman before but they knew that we were at war with France and so finding this strange hairy little man on the beach they mistook him to be a French spy and hanged him in the square <laughs> now and of course the story is completely you know not true but it's people love it, you know. For it's years, fixed. for years, people were ashamed of it, and but it's you know now it's like celebrated. You know, you get monkey T-shirts and and as you say, Hartlepool United Football Club about 20 years ago decided that their new mascot would be a monkey called Angus, and the man Stuart Drummond, who was the first man to don the monkey costume, decided in was it like 99 or something that he would run as the first elected mayor of Hartlepool and he won <laughs> and Peter Mandelson the Labour MP of Hartlepool at the time had to come on the news and say wow this is democracy <laughs> <laughs> which shows that, if well, nothing else it shows a sense of humour in the be, people of Hartlepool to be fair to Stuart Drummond he did a good job as well he did he? a very good job and he was re-elected twice or maybe even three times <laughs> and he, he came to one of our gigs once he's a lovely guy you said that you <laughs> moved here in 2006 yes when you're living in a shed I was, oh yes, oh you've done your research, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Whose shed was it? It was my parents' shed. My, your my, parents' shed? Yeah, I'd come out of university not knowing what I was going to do, but I knew I wanted to have a go at busking, and I was really into Dylan, and I was inspired by the, the beat poets and Woody Guffrey, so I took myself off to Ireland, and then Greece, and I became an appalling busker. And by the time I got back to the UK in October 2006, my parents had moved. And uh, they'd bought this lovely house on the seafront. And when I came back, I sort of lived with them for a year and they'd built this sort of cabin in the garden, which was wonderful, really. And I, I was just, you know, this is the time that I was hearing all these local stories and I started writing in that shed. It was, uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to bring the other guys in because yes. how, how did you meet Sean, Michael? Well, Sean and I went to primary school together with no, and obviously had no intention of, no intention of singing. And uh, we were just friends from there. We went to the same secondary school and then sixth form and then university. And it was Sean that that introduced both of us, both Dave and I, to, to folk music, I suppose. And, and um... <laughs> what, were, what, were you at school as well, uh, Dave? No, I wasn't. I wasn't with uh, Sean and Michael. I met them when I was 16, 17. And then we all sort of... Well, I would say simultaneously discovered folk music through stumbling across our local folk club at the uh, Sun Inn pub in Stockton. Right. Which we do talk about quite a lot as being the only pub in Stockton that would serve us underage. And we can get away with saying that because they've changed ownerships about two times. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. They wouldn't do it now, would they? <laughs> no, they definitely no, wouldn't. No, no, certainly no, no, wouldn't. No, no, no. And so we just became so enamoured by these people singing unaccompanied songs about things that we'd never heard of, local history, local heritage and industry and uh, we just kept coming back week after week and the people were so welcoming 
that we thought we were just so glad to have discovered this new culture almost, like this new secret gang of people, albeit people in their 50s and 60s oh, and 70s. Oh, it definitely stood out. Well, that's why we've got this horrible name, is because people called us the young'uns, and if we knew we'd be standing in, with Matthew Bannister right now, <laughs> on the head of all those years later, we would have changed the name. It's very embarrassing, but we, we can't change it, unfortunately. We're stuck with it. Oh. And so what was the first kind of music that you sang together? Um, well, when we went along to the folk club, we, we just couldn't believe how everyone had this repertoire of songs that everyone knew the choruses to. We were we were thinking, well, you know, how where do people learn these songs? Where do they come from? I remember Michael trying to find these songs in HMV and record shops, and, and there was no sign of them at all. Completely bemused. But, um, <laughs> but a lot of these songs, that, you know, folk songs, and particularly sea shanties as well, which we sang in our early days more than we do now, they're designed for people to join in, so we were encouraged to join in in these folk clubs in Stockton and... And when, you know, after weeks and weeks of saying, oh, are those young'uns going to sing? Are those young lads going to sing? We eventually did, but we said, well, hang on, we don't know any of the... All we know is the choruses. And they said, oh, don't worry, just do that. So we got up at the front, sang the chorus, and then pointed at random people in the room to do the verse. It's wonderful. But could you tell right from the start that your voices oh, blended no, no, together? Oh, no. They didn't. They no, didn't, 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 didn't they? they? <laughs> we thought they did because we were very drunk, but we yeah. and we were so encouraged that, uh, you know, people... People cheered you on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sean, did you start researching the material then did you start to look into the history and the stories i think so yeah yeah so that was sort of 2003 and four when we were discovered the stockton club and we were we were then like we were just literally pinching other people's songs in the room which we thought was quite a natural thing to do we thought oh well these are folk songs they belong to everyone whereas looking back now there's a sort of sensitivity if you if you if there's someone next to you in the room and they sing a song one week and then Seven days later, three drunken teenagers sing it back to them in an appalling <laughs> manner. <laughs> you know, we thought it was fair game, but so we were amassing the repertoire of, of, of songs for people like people like the Wilson family. I don't know if you know the Wilsons; they're held in high esteem around here. Five singing brothers, and they've got a fantastic reputation and tradition of singing together in harmony. So we were sort of pinching their songs and finding out more about them. But then it was when we came to Hartlepool, or when I moved to this part of Hartlepool. Dave lived on the other side of town that it suddenly dawned on us that there wasn't a folk club here in this old, beautiful, historic part. So we formed one, and then it was at that point I was learning all these great historical stories, and I thought, well, I can't really find any songs about these things. So that's, that's when the songwriting sort of started, I suppose. Will you take us to see some of those historic sites and, and tell us some of the stories? We'd love to. First the rain fell on the free sea until the began to cry for a lover lost at sea so much with it within sight I mean just down here is the Sandwell Gate and onto the Fish Sands uh, that, that's, that's the pot house the pub where we had the folk club the, the Yuff Battery is is not too far that way, but there's a lovely route along the... I mean, we should we, we go by the Sandwell Gate? Yeah, and, should we? And start off there. And, and the Gate, where the sea could taste her tears. And though she yearns, he Still 
So, Sean, while we're walking, tell us the story of the Sandwell Gate. Yes, uh, the Sandwell Gate is, is, for me, the most beautiful part of Hartlepool. It's, it's a, a medieval archway carved out of the town wall. The wall was built in the uh, 13th century. Towns in the north of England would wall themselves for protection, but they built the archway so the fishermen could get access to the beach, the fish sands. And it's just such a beautiful place. And when the tide comes in, it comes right to the bottom step. And to stand there when the tide comes right in and the sun's going down, it's just a really beautiful place to be. Then the rain fell on the German sea And Mary began to cry for a lover lost at sea and it's an extraordinary view isn't it from there yes. because you can see across the water yeah. the sort of industrial landscape that's ahead right, of yeah. you you look, it overlooks Hartlepool Bay and so the other side of the water is the west west Hartlepool and you know and that that view has, has, has changed sort of dramatically within living memory, really. And 50 years ago, it would have been completely different. You know, the whole thriving industrial hotbed here. Um, and in many ways, you sort of seeing the ghosts of it looking over the water. But still, you know, you can see you can see the the town of, of Hartlepool, the town centre, and you can see the new development, and you can see the three masts of the Trincomalee. Tell us about the uh, Trincomalee, yeah, what's the, that? The Trincomalee. That's in the Royal Navy Museum, isn't it? That's right, the Trincomalee is the second oldest floating ship in the world. It's the last surviving one of Nelson's frigates that's still afloat. And it's a floating museum and, and you know, people come from all around the world to see it. And we, we've, we've sang on there, we've performed concerts on there and in the captain's cabin and uh, on the deck and stuff. So it's, it's, that was an intimate affair. Yeah. <laughs> the captain's cabin's not very big, presumably. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so it's you and four other people. That's right. It? it was a great audience, though, I think. Great audience. Well, we've, we've arrived at the sun, are, the sun yeah. gate here, which is an archway leads directly onto the beach. Yeah, onto the and fish sands. And, and when the, like I say, when the tide does come in, it comes right up here, up to the, up to the front step. Oh, she yearns. He never returned Still she was wet Beneath the sun's well-kissed well, this is, this is where the, the legendary story of the monkey took place. But there's some wonderful pictures of, of the fish sands throughout history as well because the fishermen, you know, Hartlepool still does have a fishing fleet, a small one, and they, they sail into the, into the docks down here. But historically, right. yeah, historically they would come up onto the fish sands and the, the fishermen's boats were called the cobbles, or you call them cobbles, the further up the coast you go. And the fishermen, I mentioned before, were called the crofters, and the crofters had a whole plethora of, of legends and stories about them they were really interesting characters and they had their own like dialect as well which is complete something that's completely vanished from out and they'd say things like he's yanny yan he's yanny yan which is he's one of our own he's yanny yan <laughs> and uh but there's some i mean my my favorite crofter story is the story of saint hilda's church actually 
this new vicar came to St Hilda's and he was quite alarmed at just how cold the wind gets around here and he wasn't particularly enjoying being so close to the sea. So the crofters overheard this and they, you know, they overheard the vicar say, oh, wouldn't it be great if St Hilda's was further away from the sea? And the crofters, the fishermen, thought, well, we're all strong lads. Why don't we give it a push and see if we can move the church away? <laughs> so they took off the coats, put them down and started to push. And after, you know, half an hour or so, they realised they couldn't do it. Uh, so they went to the pub for a drink forgetting that they'd left all the coats by the church and when they came out of the pub well oiled of course they found that someone had pinched the coats but because they were such honest men they couldn't think that anyone would have stolen anything off them so they decided that they had in fact pushed the church and the coats were now underneath it (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) but yeah yeah we've got a song about the uh, yeah we've got a song about the court legend and we've got a song about the Samwell gate as well and one time I was down here on my own just looking out to sea and you think about you know for almost a thousand years how many people have passed through this gate and and in all that time how much things have changed you know the boats that they sailed the names that they call each other the language that they spoke the name of the North Sea changed so many times but still people from Hartlepool went to sea and do so to this day and, and that's what for this this Hartlepool is for me it's just that great continuity of tradition and um, so yeah we wrote a song called The Sunwell Gate Now the rain falls on the cold North Sea and I start to cry for a lover so far from me and there are no boats rolling by but I will wait neath the sand's well gates where the sea can taste my tears with all the ghosts who love the most there I will wait beneath so uh, we're going to St Hilda's Church yes. now, which again is not very far away. Mm. What's the story of that? Well, it, I mean, it, it's one of the most stunning buildings in the northeast of England, in my opinion, but again, it's not, not many people know that it's there. Work started in, I think, 1170, and for... For hundreds of years, it would have been the first thing that pilgrims from all over Europe would have seen as they sailed into Hartlepool Bay on a journey to go up to Durham Cathedral and visit the Shrine of St Cuthbert. It's an absolutely stunning local landmark and it's sort of steeped in, in English history. Uh, but for me, it's, it's, uh, 
it, it's more than that sort of place of worship. It's, it's a great sort of centre of community. And our memories of singing here and being involved with lots of community concerts, bringing choirs of children to sing here and, and holding a little festival and putting on a big concert here. We, we, we've got some really lovely memories. Do you think we can go inside the church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Because also, I bet there's a great welcome. acoustic in there, isn't there? There certainly is. For singing? Yes, indeed. <laughs> I love this stone around the archway here because it looks like it's been worn away yeah. by the touch of thousands of years of yeah. people coming it, past, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? It looks like people have brushed against it and <laughs> left their mark on the on the stonework. Let's go in. Is it all right if we do a little bit of recording? You in the can church? do, yes. Oh, oh, that's very nice. More than, more than welcome. <laughs> do you mind if we sing? You can do what you like, yes. I'm quite, I'm here, you can Obviously, I'm not, me. No, let me just be clear, I'm not going to sing, so right. don't rest assured. <laughs> There's no danger of that. I see there's a piano here, Sean. <laughs> Should we take advantage of that situation? Yeah, I think so. Dave will never miss an opportunity to... Uh... <laughs> he's, he's improved since the last time. <laughs> Probably the first song I wrote here in Hartlepool, um, the legend of, of St Bega. Now, we talked a bit about St Hilda, who's a well-documented historical figure from, from the North East. But there's this other sort of mythologised character called Bega, who's the story was that she was an Irish princess and she had an arranged marriage with a Norwegian prince and because she wanted to become a nun and devote her life to God, she, she fled Ireland in a tiny boat, crossed the Irish Sea alone and landed in Cumbria at the place today known as St Bee's Head. Somewhere along the line, St Bega became associated with Hartlepool and, and to this day there's a St Bega school. But the inspiration for, for the chorus of the song is, um, or the refrain of the song, is that beautiful passage from, from Bede's uh, Ecclesiastical History of the English People, one of the finest, in my opinion, passages of early English literature, excuse me, <coughs> when he describes how the, the kingdom of Northumbria, the early Anglo-Saxon kings converted to Christianity, and King Edwin was sitting in, a, in his great hall and he was troubled about this idea of Christianity and should he accept the new teaching that his wife was following and what would be the benefits of giving up the old pagan ways and up stands his, his uh, closest and dearest advisor and counsellor and says to him, Sire, it appears to me that life is nothing but the short, swift flight of a sparrow through this great hall. It comes in one door and then it goes immediately out the other. While it's inside, it's safe and warm, but after a, only a short spell of fair weather, it returns to the wild winter from which it came. Surely life is just the same. And if this new teaching shows us anything, we should follow it. And that was, according to Bede and the story, why Edwin decided to become a Christian and change the shape of Norman history. Amazing. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's the inspiration. So we'll give you a couple of verses of Sancta Bega. Oh, oh, oh. 
So where are you taking us now, Sean? We're going to take you towards the, the Yuff Battery, which was a military barracks, now a museum. Uh, but on the way there, we're going to swing by the Fryeridge Field, which is the holds a, a very brilliant local legend. And right? it's also where I used to live. Is there a blue plaque? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the shed. The shed. It is the shed. Is the shed here? Uh, no, it's not here. No, that, oh, that's the shed been knocked down, has it? <laughs> Make way for a motorway. <laughs> so we're just coming up to the Fryeridge Field now, uh, which has still got a, a rugby pitch on it. And there is a there the is story a... we'd like to tell you is is a wonderful medieval legend, the legend of the Friar's Curse. There was one particular cheeky local lad who was determined to teach the monks of Hartlepool a lesson for being rather overweight and enjoying life too much. That one night he knocked on the Friarage door here and he told them he'd seen a ghost. And the 18 brothers of Hartlepool, you know, whose job it was to exercise such demons, uh, grabbed their uh, rosary beads and their holy oil and what have you and uh, waddled out in, in a line down towards the fish sands where this ghost was supposed to have appeared. But the little boy knew that the only way to the fish sands in those days was through a narrow, dark, dirty alleyway. And in that narrow, dark, dirty alleyway, he placed over a hundred upturned pins, spikes, nails and needles and stuff. And so when the monks stood upon the nails, only wearing their thin sandals, they were so agonised and so angry with the boy and what he'd done to them that they put a curse on the town. They said, curse this town of Hartlepool, cursed let it be, never let it from this day on ever have a tree. And from that day to this, as you can see, if we look around ourselves, apart from that one over there, no tree <laughs> has ever been able to grow in Hartlepool ever again. <laughs> what a great story. Uh, there's another story about frying, but we're going to get that a bit later oh, yes. on, aren't oh, we? Oh, yeah, we could, yeah if, we, if we come this way, we go past where I used to live, and I'll, I'll point it out. We definitely want to see your old house. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going out through the houses now. Yes. Uh, off that green space and through a gap between the houses. And this is my old flat downstairs, number 15, Jake's Court. Right. Lived so there for a couple of years, did a lot of me writing there. I miss being so close to the sea, I think. You, you sort of take it for granted. And when I used to live here, people would come and visit. The first thing they would do would they just be drawn to the sea and and you just you forget how uh, how special it is to be near the sea sometimes. I miss the I miss the sense of community as well. Actually, you've talked about community, and one of the things that's striking about what you're doing now is that you're taking on the traditional songs, the the songs that came out of the community, mm. and and you're still writing in that tradition, but you're writing about individuals who are living now. Yeah, I think for me it's it's been confident enough to do so. Really, I think I think we were all under the impression when we got into the folk songs that if you were to write folk songs, that you should write about things that happened in the past or, or things that define your area or where you come from, and that in many respects that is history when you talk about the northeast, and that's our great sort of industrial history, our sense of community, our sense of union, and things like that, and politics. And I think it was almost quite a, a sort of uh, having the confidence then to think, well, hang on, there's so many things happening in the world today that I really want to talk about. I want to I want to share these stories. It's just been bold enough to say, well, hang on, I can, I can do this. I've got this whole 
background, this whole um, vocabulary of, of folk language and tunes and melodies that now it just seems natural that, oh yeah, if I'm going to write something about something that's happened in the news that really inspires me, I'm, it's going to come out as in a, in a sort of modern folk song. And you're taking on the tradition but making it contemporary. So what you're doing is you're still singing in a style that people might have recognised some years ago. I but, suppose so, you yeah. Know, but you're, you're writing songs yeah. about the refugee crisis, yeah, yeah. you're writing songs about homophobia, you're writing songs about mm. about the, the guys who stopped the terrorist on the train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you're writing about the very stuff that we're reading about in the papers yeah, all the time, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, uh, that, I mean... And that wasn't like a conscious decision to to do that in a traditional style. That's just our style, I suppose. And to us, that's just how we communicate, really. And do you always look for the individual at the heart of the story? I I, I think I think so. Yeah, I think definitely. You know, we wrote a song called "Dark Water" about Hashem Ladaman. He was a Syrian refugee, and it was his words that just brought it all home. When I first heard his words on the BBC, describing how he swam across the Aegean Sea. It was just so beautiful and so heartbreaking at the same time, and I think yeah, folk songs have always been, have always been sort of told in the first person, really. So, so one of the stories you want mm. to tell us, I think, when we get to the battery, yeah, is about a local man, who again does that job, doesn't he, of, of being the epitome of a, a much bigger story. That's right. His name was Theo Jones, and he was a, a Hartlepool teacher. His story is, is a sad one, and uh, but also quite a beautiful one as well, uh, as we'll find out. At Ringston School, late in the spring, one hundred songs did sweetly sing, and loud amongst their listening. Tones. sang the young headmaster Theo Jones. But when the summer came along, the drums of war drowned out their song. So we're going in through the we're going in through the gates now. Hello. Hi, hey, Diane. Sure. Oh, thanks so much for having us. Lovely to see you. I'm Matthew. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Thank you. So we're going in through the gates of the battery now, and there's a very impressive tank yeah. immediately ahead of us. <laughs> and this is Diane. Lock you in. Who's locking yeah. us in? <laughs> so we're locked in with the armaments. My name is Diane Stevenson. I'm the manager of the Yuff Battery Museum. Um, obviously, uh, the site is uh, the only First World War battlefield in the UK. We are here as a museum because of the bombardment of the Hartlepools, which happened uh, on the 16th of December 1914, um, when the Germans decided they would come and throw about 1,200 shells at Hartlepool. My goodness. Well, from ships offshore? From three ships offshore. Um, they came uh, about ten past eight in the morning on a December morning and opened fire on Hartlepool. Whitby and Scarborough were also um, bombed on the same day from the sea. Were a lot of people killed? Uh, in Hartlepool, about uh, 137, just over 137 um, civilians uh, killed on the, on the morning. 50-minute bombardment 
um, and all of those civilians dead and more later so we don't have an exact figure uh, because lots of people died later of injuries that were sustained on the day uh, and some people even died of broken hearts. Oh my goodness and do we know why they targeted Hartlepool in particular was it because of the shipbuilding here or? Yeah the shipbuilding we had a small naval contingent here as well and we were a, a military installation because the battery was here so obviously they could you know bombard us as, as a strategic place. And was this a story Sean that inspired you? Yeah I just went reading those first hand accounts is just terrifying because it's just so unprecedented and so unexpected in many ways and lots of people who first heard the shells some people thought it was just a thunderstorm at sea they never heard anything like it other people thought oh it's just some some of our ships practicing it'll be gone soon you know and just because uh, it's such a built-up area around here and it must have just been complete hell for nearly an hour and uh, so many of them were, were kids who died on the way to school and people on the way to work so now we've come right to the front of the grass overlooking the sea and is this an important place where you see the uh hump in the wall there on the other side of that uh, is a plaque marking the place where Theo Jones was killed so he's commemorated as the first soldier to be killed by enemy action uh, on British soil since the civil war in the 1660s. I knew that I'd always wanted to try and write a song about Theo Jones because I knew the name and I knew his, his epitaph of being the first to fall and the, the first soldier for hundreds of years but I, I didn't really know anything about him until I discovered that he was, a, he was a teacher, he was a, he was a headmaster, which struck a chord with me because my dad's a headmaster. And um, when he died, he was 29, and that's, that's how old we all were in, in 2014, 100 years on. And I discovered that um, after leaving Hartlepool, he, was, he got a job in uh, Thringston in uh, Leicestershire, and he was the, the headmaster of a school there, and he was, he was adored by the kids because he was a great rugby player and a singer. And when the war began and he, he decided he must enlist in the army, they the all clubbed together and presented him with a, a prayer book that he kept in his pocket. And he had that in his pocket on the morning he died. And, and uh, before his funeral, they took it all the way back to Leicestershire to show the community there. So just heartbreaking stuff. The winter wind sang like a ghoul. A box arrived at Thringston School. Bearing the book that caused great spring one hundred tongues once more will sing one hundred lambs will skip and
So we're walking towards a beacon now on the, on yes, the this front. Is, yeah, this is the this is the, the town moor and this is the home of the uh, the Headland Carnival which every every summer gets transformed into a huge sort of party and fairground and So and and one of the things I was gonna say to you is that if there has been a theme so far in the songs that you've sung for us, they've been quite melancholy. Do you know what I mean? Quite a few I, I, people have been lost at sea. I suppose so, yeah. yeah. So, but this one... Hello, Hello you're right. right. Yeah, nice Hello. to see you. Yeah, and you, yeah. This one is a bit of a laugh, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Well, yeah, Hartlepool's always, it's got this, you know, the history is, is part... Of one of our favourite stories from the Headland is the story of the beacon. This great legend that comes from the time of the Spanish Armada when towns like Hartlepool on the coast would have had huge beacons that they would light in times of emergency to get the message across that an invasion was on the cards. And for some reason, according to the story, the mayor of Hartlepool lit his beacon way too early and this caused mass confusion all down the east coast of England. So the word got to Queen Elizabeth I, good Queen Bess, she sent him an angry letter saying there should be no more firing of the beacon no more firing of the beacon. But because he was the mayor of Hartlepool and he had a few drinks, he misread the letter as no more frying of the bacon. <laughs> and he confiscated every frying pan on the headland and for years no one was allowed to fry bacon, sausage or black pudding. <laughs> I'll tell you a tale of a silly old man who confiscated all the frying pans. No more frying bacon, you silly old man. He was mistaken about the bacon and now our poor buddies, they are aching. No more frying bacon, you silly old man. Is there any truth well, in this? Well, yes, well, you, you might ask because... It's like you're making it up to me. Prove the story is true. Some workmen doing a job on St Hilda's Church in the Victorian times, a couple of hundred years later, discovered a whole stash of medieval frying pans buried underneath the soil there, proving the story to be true. So all because of the silly old man, Artley Pool had a frying pan ban. No more frying bacon, you silly old man. He was mistaken about the bacon, and now our poor buddies, they are aching. No more frying bacon, you silly Join in, Matthew. Old man. He was mistaken about the bacon, and now our poor buddies, they are aching. No more frying bacon, you Man. Hey. hey! You're in the group! It's making me hungry now. <laughs> Did we get to the pop for lunch? <laughs> no, we don't do food now. Yeah. Bag of crisps, don't we? Yeah. Bag of crisps, that'll do. I haven't got any crisps left, Dad. I'm going to be quick then. <laughs> so we've penetrated into the back room of the pub here. Yes. This is where the sessions used to take place. That's the right, pub yeah, it's, it's great, great to be back. I haven't been back in here for years, but yeah, in, in uh, January 2007, we started our own folk club in this room and um, it was quite an awkward room to sing in. We discovered that the best way, place to sing from would be the bar, so we would just sort of stand at the bar and belt out songs and then it was just a free-for-all sort of sing around. You could People came and just encouraged to get up and sing whatever they wanted, play a tune, tell a story, and we just had some wonderful time. Did you get a big crowd? Yeah, it, it sort of built up over the, over a couple of years, and we we get like over 100 people sometimes, and people come from all over the northeast, and people come with the camper vans outside, and then then new people would come all the time, and then people would pop up, like the unfunk girls would come down every now and again, and oh, it was just, just brilliant. So do you miss those days? Yeah, yeah, we do, yeah. Um, Let's move back. 
Yeah. Come on, let's buy a house together. Let's, <laughs> let's all move to the shed. Come on. Now, when you're on stage in a festival and there are you know eight thousand people there. Yeah, but in many ways, it's the same thing. We've always, ever since we first stood up there in Stockton Folk Club and did that chorus of a shanty that we didn't know the verses to. It's always felt like the same, being on stage in front of people. It's always having the crack and having a laugh and making an audience feel comfortable, whether it's in a pub in Hartlepool or on the main stage at Cambridge Festival or something like that. It's, it's the same, sort of. It was just so special to do it here, and now we've been on this walk with you and we showed you all these amazing things. It just felt really special for us to create these new songs and then sing them for the first time here. You know, sometimes looking out the window now over by the Pilots Pier across Hartlepool Bay, sometimes as the sun came down on Friday nights in the summer months, you know, the ships would be passing while we were singing and it was just so special. I wonder if you might sing another song for us now. And I think this brings us back to something we picked up on earlier, which is your latest album, Strangers, yeah. which is, is a lot about you as a songwriter and about contemporary life. Uh, but also referencing the past, you know, so you reference the Battle of Cable Street and, and, yeah. and things like that. And there's a song called The Hartlepool Peddler. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, about the past and the present, isn't it? I hope so, yeah, that, that, that was the intention. I, I, the story of The Hartlepool Peddler, I'd always wanted to write a song about it and him, because it's just so resonant with everything that's happened since the Brexit vote and, and the sort of spike of racism that's followed. The Hartlepool Peddler was Michael Marx, who went on to found Marx and Spencer, and he was a, a Polish refugee fleeing the pogroms of the late 19th century. He arrived on a ship here, just out, looking out the window in Hartlepool, um, and he made his first money on the streets of the headland where we'd been walking, just you know, selling fruit and veg out of a, out of a pack before he moved out to Leeds and had his penny market stall and then went on to from Marks and Spencer, so it's and it's a story that not many people in Hartlepool know. Uh, it's, so it's just, it's an honour to tell it really, and, and the reaction that people get when they think, oh wow, that's this iconic British figure started, you know, from being a, a, a much maligned refugee and started here in Hartlepool, and it's just a story that I think a lot more people should be hearing. Come, all you strangers in this town and listen to my story. Like you, I once kept my head down, but I was bound for glory. I left my home when I was young and Jews like me were murdered. The sea was cruel to hardly pull like cattle, we were herded. But I got myself a peddler's pack and I tramped from place to place. Some said bad words behind my back And worse ones to my face At Stockton Town I fell in love And down to Leeds we came To a market stall, a roof above And money to our name Here's pins and needles, buttons, soap Everything a penny And soon my stall became a shop And one shop became many when I needed help, a partner came as swift as a dispenser And he wrote his name beside my name And we were Marks and Spencer So I could tell you, get on your bike Don't sit at home and hide But it's hard if you don't have a bike And you don't know how to ride But I'll have you know before I go 
Though this place seems filled with dangers, they won't tell you, because it's true. This town was built by strangers. If you've enjoyed this edition of Folk on Foot, please do rate and review us so that more people can find us. You can subscribe to Folk on Foot on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts by clicking the subscribe button. There are more episodes of Folk on Foot with Cara Dillon in Dungiven, Kareen Polwart on Fallamore, Steve Knightley on The X Trail, Sam Lee singing with nightingales in Sussex, and Eliza Carthy in Robin Hood's Bay. And you can get more information on our website at folkonfoot.com with news about the episode, guests and the team behind the podcast. Or you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook for more news and behind the scenes. We're at Folk on Foot on all platforms.